everybody. Thanks for listening today. Um, we have a, I would say, just a, a, a very special guest um, today in the sense that uh, Mick Heinekamp is uh, on the phone with me, and we're using uh, voiceover in VOIP and, uh, he, because he's young in New Zealand. And uh, Nick is an incredible guy who, he was in our book. Um, he has some extremely uh, insightful and, I thought, educational pieces of advice and, and wisdom in the book. It was one of the, I just thought, from a, just a practical perspective, that there's just so many great pieces from that interview. So I'm really glad to have Nick because Nick is, um, you know, he started back in 99. Um, he and his wife, they started Sakura Springs Restaurant and Brewery down in New Mexico. And a few years later, they opened Eddie Line Restaurant and Brewery up in Colorado. So I thought it was cool already to be able to balance restaurants in two different states. But it, it gets even more interesting. Um, they ended up uh, the, the, the selling the restaurant portion of Eddie Line, and, but expanding the brewery. And now they have an extremely successful and popular brewery. Uh, in Buena Vista, Colorado, um, Eddie Line Brewery has done extremely well and continues to grow. And they just recently, in the last couple of years, had a big expansion. And uh, so with all that, uh, Nick and his family have moved down to New Zealand. And this is where he is now. And they're opening a Eddie Line Brewery down there. So, uh, I mean, gosh, Nick, um just what an interesting uh, past you've had, and just thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Hey, welcome. It's a good time. Um, so, there's, so here's Nick down in New Zealand. He's getting this all cranked out, and um, uh, I, I want to talk to him about what's going on there for sure. But I want to go back, first of all, Nick, um, because, you know, as, as I was mentioning before we, we got this started, one of the one of the things that Nick did, um, Nick and Molly did when they started in Sakura Springs is they had a um, they had a business plan that they had crafted, and they believed it was going to take them a million dollars to get started with their business with their restaurant, and um, you know not uncommon at all. But they wound up, and I, I want Nick to talk about this, kind of fill in the gap here and tell the story, but. Let's just say they started with a million-dollar business plan. They whittled it down multiple times after getting feedback, wound up with a $100,000 business plan, right? They cut it, you know, ten, it was down to 10%. And, and then they opened for, like, 70 grand or whatever, so, like, 7% of what they originally thought. So, Nick, t- talk a little bit about that, because that's one of the stories from all the stories of doing that book that just really, really stuck in my mind, and I've never forgotten that because I thought it was such a, you know, Gosh, the difference between doing it for seventy thousand, you know, if you had had to take a million dollars in, you know, debt to do that, it just probably made all the difference in the world about the success of your your business there and your ability to grow and expand and, and everything else. So, talk a little bit about that and how you all came about to do that. Well, it's pretty interesting because we're, um, you know, over the years we've met a lot of people and a lot of people who have similar dreams. I want to open some more businesses, and, and one recently, um, some good friends of ours are still trying to pursue the dream of having their own business, and they want to stop working their normal jobs and open up a you know, small brewery and uh, restaurant, and you know, kind of following along with them, and you know, it, it's been very similar to our story, you know, that and we'll use some of their story to to uh, 
kind of reflect on where we went and, and where we came from and you know, the, the same thing that they're looking for location and, and, uh, you know, initial glances there, you know, they have, you know, half a dozen solid locations where they feel their dream could survive. But, you know, all of them are going to require major remodels, um, a lot of investment, you know, and, and, you know, the easiest route to a business plan is just to start with a lot of money. So they, they did this similar to us, you know, like a, you know, let's just write a business plan and, you know, okay, so it, it takes, you know, $200,000 of renovation. Great, let's just put it in there. And, and you know, it's it's hard to find a bunch of used stainless to build your own little brewery. And, um, you know, so let's just put, put in, budget in a brand new one. So there's another 250000 for a brewery. And, well, restaurant equipment, it's, it's hard to sort out the good from the bad in terms of the used restaurant equipment market. So let's just order new restaurant equipment and, Budget in another three hundred thousand, you know, for furnishings and restaurant equipment, and before you know, you're back to that million dollar business plan. And the reason it happens is because it's quick and easy, you know. And, and I, I think all of us like the quick and easy solutions, and um, until reality comes knocking and, and puts you back a few steps when you can't get an investor because they realize that the second you open, everything's worth pennies to the dollar, um, and they don't want to take the risk on a new person. Um, bankers won't touch you, and when you're just starting out, and so all of a sudden you're with zero options. So, you know, and that's kind of where my friends are at at the moment. And so it's, it says, well, you have to go back to your original business plan and, and look at where the pitfalls are and, and the big, um, you kind of think kind of like Indian Jones movies. You know, you, you always have that uh, big ball that's about to come pendling in and, and, and crashing into you. And, the big thing in starting a business is, is that startup number. You have to get it down, um, and it takes a lot of work to get it down. So for us, when we started our business, we you know we had this great business plan. When I talked to bankers, and uh, you know they, they pretty much laughed us right to their their doors, uh, you know to try again, and and we left we're left scratching our heads. So we went back, and you know in, instead of buying the building or you know or Paying for the renovations, we ended up volunteering with a, a guy who had an older building. Um, you know, had dirt floors, had uh, holes in the roof, but it was a nice historic building. And we just said, "Look, let us volunteer our time to, you know, rehab it." I had a little construction experience, too. Um, and even though we did help a little bit, it was, it was more just showing our dedication that where he, he ended up saying, "All right, I'll, I'll renovate it." You know, but how are you going to fund the rest of it? You know, and, and we're at that, you know, I think we're about 200000 needed still. And he said, no, that's not going to work. You know, that's, you're not going to be able to pay for that. So we, you know, we kept going along and um, found a way to you know, put a, a small brewery together using the old stainless tanks from dairies. Um, we found a restaurant that had gone out of business and, you know, just bought up some you know, all their equipment. Um, they had had an auction, and all the stuff that hadn't sold was, uh, sold was still sitting there. And uh, there's a couple of prep tables, a single door cooler, and a dough mixer. And, you know, the guy said, 4500 bucks, take it all. Uh, you know, no guarantees whether it's working or not. So, you know, we are taking the risk in the bank. Um, you know, so we took that, that and ended up being able to get almost all of the equipment working and, and selling off some of the stuff that we didn't need that we were able to get to work. Um, and finally, you know, just, uh, you know, just 
took that kind of grill approach of, you know, we will find a way to make it work, you know, without throwing a lot of money at the problem. And, yeah, I, th- I think we opened up, um, we had convinced the person who renovated the building to um, give us a, a small loan, um, I want to say 60000 and then we had personally put in about 20000 off of credit cards and, um, you know, took all of our furniture to a flea market, sold that off um, to get our opening um, money. But we, we got it done, you know, and, and that's the bottom line, you know. Six months after we were open, you know, a lot of the equipment that we had opened with had been replaced with newer, um, more reliable equipment. But the big thing is we're, we're open, you know. And um, is it the easiest way? No, but is it doable? Absolutely. And that's what I'm trying to convince my friends um, in the next year trying to get their place open is, like, just open it. You know, find a way to get it open. You know, focus on the quality of the food and the focus on the quality of the experience, not the price tag of the equipment that you're using. Um, and then back at it, and I, I think they'll make a make a run out of it, you know. Um, so just, you know, perseverance and, and you know, spending the most money isn't always a solution. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the uh – Probably almost the easy way out. It makes it, it would make it a lot easier to just go buy the new equipment and so on and so forth. But then you've got this huge amount of debt you've got to service, right? So all of a sudden you've got, um, it takes you many, many more years to really turn the restaurant into something that's a profitable venture. Well, it, it's as simple as the, you know, um, what we've learned over the years is a safe number to look at to use for business planning in a restaurant is use 30% for your cost of goods. You know, you can use 30% for your labor, 30% for your overhead, you know, and that, that's going to include debt service, and then that would leave you 10% profit. So yeah. if you take that number, um, and, and let's just say you do a million dollars in sales because it's just easy numbers to work with, um, that would generate you $100,000 of profit. Uh, reality is when, for sure when you're going to open for a small place, of, you know, less than 100 seats, you know, you should be around um, half a million sales or 50,000 profit. Well, if you're if you're um, successful and you get your cost of goods down to 25% and you get your labor costs down to, you know, about 25%, and that frees up another 10%, which is great. Um, but those aren't given, you know, and, and starting up, um, you don't want to hurt yourself by, Skimping on quality for on your ingredients, you don't want to skimp on on service by not having enough staff. So you're back, you're right back to that you know ten percent of profitability, which might seem a lot, but you're going to have to reinvest into it. So then, if you take your debt service and you put it at a million dollars, it's going to be nearly impossible to keep your overhead at that ten percent. Uh, right. I mean, just the interest payments alone on that are going to be you know. Um, you know, let's say it's a note at a million dollars, interest payments on that are going to you know, be right, right around that $6,000 a month mark, 72000 for the year. You're already 10% right there on interest. That's all your profit. So now you're just working there to pay interest. You don't have any funds left over to reinvest or to save for a rainy day, and you're immediately weaker, you know, from day one. Um where if you can start, you know, small and you don't have that payment, you know, hopefully you can maybe, you know, have 30 cent cost of goods, 30 cent uh, labor and keep the overhead down to 20%, you 
which gets you a 20% profit, which allows you to further reinvest, start running leaner until you really get your operation tuned and you get the other numbers down to 25 and 25. And, and now all of a sudden we're um, running that 30% profitability, which is a great number. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, will you, um, well, let me ask you this. Now, and that particularly is useful if you're going into it for the first time. Um, you then went and opened what, what two or th- how many years later was it that you opened, um, Eddie Line after you had, from when you well, opened to Core Springs? Alright, we opened up to Core Springs in the lease building, um, you know, the, the building that we helped renovate and, and get started in. Um, when we got close to our five year anniversary, you know, our dream initially was to open a brewery in Colorado. That's what we really wanted to do. Um, but I couldn't get work there. Bankers wouldn't touch us, and I was able to get a work as a geologist in Socorro. So that's why we went with Socorro, and we were able to get the, uh, you know, um, you know the, the location to work for us. So after about four years, we started looking at Colorado again and, and you know, started talking with bankers and everybody else, and it was too big of an expansion to go from New Mexico to Colorado and they couldn't justify it, you know, and they said, look, you're in a lease building, you have no assets, you know, your Socorro business could close any minute. Um, if your lease goes away, it's too risky. They said, if you have some hard real estate, you know, and your business would, you know, was in a building that you owned, it would be a lot better. So we expanded our business there by buying people and building our own building, um, you know, and, and we ran into the same problems that we did from day one. Of, you know, it, it's you know, it's easy to hire an architect and, and have them design a five million dollar building. Um, you know, and and once again spec it out the latest and greatest equipment, and 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 you're way over budget again. So we end up having to take the same approach to that building, and and we end up building it for um, that about three quarters of a million dollars from the five million dollars that the architect had said it would cost us, and. Um, you know, so we're at a hundred dollars a square foot for commercial um building, which is, you know, really low. And by doing that we you know, we're largely you know our, our profitability was high because we had kept our costs down on the building and on the, on the building that we actually owned. The second we closed that SBA loan there, we started working on Colorado. Um and we you know, that which is right coming into two thousand eight, we had Obtained a letter of credit. We we're ready to go. We found the location we wanted to build our own building at, um, and then all the markets started tanking. So we had a letter of credit from Lehman Brothers. Then we had one from Wachovia, and, and as we know, they all went down. I finally found a local bank though that was able to step in last minute before um, we we're going to lose the the lot, the property we we're going to build on, and uh, ended up building there. But due to that whole kind of credit crunch, we weren't able to borrow as much as we wanted. And we end up having to, um, you know, really go, be really aggressive on our costs going into Colorado as well. And, and we ended up building that building for, um, it's closer to, you know, $200 square foot mark, but, uh, you know, still well below other commercial building costs in the area. Um, so you, uh, wow, man, that's, you, you know, we, Talk a little bit about. I mean, you have an architect telling you. Wait, so the, the five million dollar architect estimate that was in uh, 
Um, was it, was that, I, I got confused. Was that in Colorado or was that in New Mexico? That was in New Mexico. Okay, that was in New Mexico. So you had to get the building there. That's why you had – okay, got it, got it. Well, then yeah. we'll talk about that. I mean, you have some construction experience, but what advice would you give to somebody that maybe is going, okay, we're going to build, you know, our, our, our building or whatever, and maybe they already own a restaurant or whatever, but, you know, if you've got somebody telling you it's five million bucks and you don't have construction experience, what are some things you can do to – to get that cost down. I mean, you racked it down tremendously, uh, but even there in Colorado, you got 200 square foot. So what, what are some things you can do, uh, some practical things you can do to, you know, to, to avoid overpaying if you're, if you're going to do a build-out? That's an interesting question. Um, the thing that we keep finding um, everywhere we've gone, including here in New Zealand, is everyone, you know, the easiest fix to a problem is to throw more money at it. Yeah, so you meet with an architect. The architect's instant solution is to spec out the highest end equipment to, you know, hire contractors that they don't have to babysit at all. Um, so they'll design a building and they'll say, okay, let's, let's, um, we're, we're going to use the latest and greatest air handler, and we want to make sure it's going to work just fine, so for their condition in the building, we're just going to oversize it by 50%, because, you know, it, it, it's too hard to engineer it to be exactly what you need, and um, instead of um, us actually talking with a contractor of what we need, let's just hire an engineer, you know, and, and, and let them run up a you know $30,000 bill to design the air, air conditioning, and then it goes into the plumbing, I was like, well... We don't want to design a whole plumbing system. Let's just hire another engineer for that. And so, like, going back to Fort Springs when we built our first building, um, one of our bankers, you know, recommended these these architects. And we met with them, and you know, they came out some beautiful sketches, and it's really easy to get excited about everything. Like, yeah, this is going to be our new place. It's going to be the best ever. Oh, man, this is great. You know, and, and, you know, we had told them our budget from up front, you know, which was based on the conversation with the banker based on our projections, what they felt we could comfortably borrow. Um, and, and architects don't care about that. You know, we found a few over the years that, you know, actually will pay attention to what something costs. You know, architects want to put the, their, you know, they want to build the, the fanciest, most expensive premise out there so that they can say, yeah, I designed that. So what we started doing is questioning them. You know, like, you know, they came back to us after the first kind of sketches and, and design as well with, you know, we're, you know, you're looking at about 7,500 square feet. It's going to be, you know, about $5 million. Um, that's just what things cost to build. And I was like, well, where are those numbers coming from? You know, so they, they, you know, they didn't want to break it down really, but finally we just, you know, they, they, they gave us kind of a real rough spreadsheet of some other projects, you know, and, and one of the big pieces in there is engineering. And, it was just massive, you know. It's just like they wanted to spend about 200 grand in engineering. And I'm like, what are you getting for that? You're just getting some paper, you know. And, and so we went to our, you know, um, a couple of different contractors, you know, plumbing people um, and plumbing mechanical contractors, and said, why does this have to be so incredibly, you know, why do I spend all this money on engineering? What what do you guys really need to pull a permit? And that's kind of funny. The plumber said, "Well, personally, as soon as if, if we were to get this job, we would take those engineer drawings um, 
you know, pump them up, throw them in the trash, you know, because the engineers are going to design it the way they want to design it, but it, it, it's not the way you build it. And you kind of look at it and like, well, what if we spent 50 grand on these lines? Would you really do that? And it's absolutely because we have to be responsible for it at the end. And it doesn't make sense. You know, we can build it. You know, if we're building a school, we would build it to those specs, and half the time it works right and half the time it doesn't. But that's not our problem because we'll just throw more money at it to fix it. Because so um, what you want to do is, you know, you can tell your architect that we're going to have it designed by the contractor. And it's like our name's going to be on it. We're going to build it so that it works. Um, and we're going to be held accountable that it works, you know, regardless of who, who drew it. So that was the first wake-up call. And then we started looking at other, you know, you, you see that and kind of get a wake-up call and you start, okay, well, what other parts of this project, where is this money going? So you look at and they had this line item for lighting and it was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's, well, how, how can this possibly be, you know? What what kind of lights are these, you know? And, then, and so they start, you look at one of their pictures, they have these hanging pendant lights, they're $750 each. You know, and, and, and there's like 50 or 60 of them throughout the building. Like, wow. It doesn't look anything different than the, the, the light up and pick up at the local big box store, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever else, where actually those lights are even nicer. Or get on the internet and you can find nicer lights that are $30 each instead of $500 each. You know, and, and you tell architects that and they don't want, you know, they don't want to do that. I don't know if whether they get a kickback or what, but they don't want to play that game. They don't want to, you know, have things bought locally. Um, so finally, yeah, after going through this exercise, architects were incredibly frustrated with us. And, you know, we had, but at that point in the stage, we had had a basic set of plans for the building. And we, we just told them, look, we don't want to go any further with this. You know, you, you guys want you know, all kinds of engineers. We've already found that you know, we don't need those. We don't want to go any further with this. Look, we're just going to take the floor prints for you to go to a builder. So that was our meeting with builders. We have a basic set of plans, a basic floor plan. So basically, we're waiting for what we want. We want to be you, you do a design build, as it's called, where they give us a number, they come back and say, look, based on this floor plan and elevations, I can build it, this is how we're going to build it, and this is what it's going to cost. And, you know, one, I think we talked about five different builders, and we connected with one of them who, who was on board with them, you know, not overbuilding us and leaving their mark on it, um, but just building us what we wanted. And then that being a great building, you know, so... Um, um, we got it done. Um, it's you know it's beautiful. Um, funny story is that you know about a year and a half after it was completed, um, the, the the head of the the owner of the architect firm he came in for lunch and he said, "Wow, you actually got it done and it's beautiful. I never would have imagined it, you know." And um, you know he he couldn't believe what we built it for and he you know it's um, you know. It's just, so I guess the kind of lesson of the story is, is, is question everything. You know, there if you want to build something for uh, less, you know, whether it's your entire restaurant or or just the building, you can build it for less than what the standard norm is. You know, if you want to take the easy route out, you can have an architect that manage the whole thing. They'll spend all your money before you even have a, a, anything to show for it. Um, or you can take ownership of it and, and take control of every last little detail and pay attention to every little detail. And you can make it come out for how it needs to come out.
know if that helps anybody. Yeah. This is extremely valuable advice, man. I mean, it's the what it really comes down to is being willing to, um, like you said, to question and to go. Don't just assume it's just because they're a great architect or whatever that you know you have to listen to what they're saying and do it their way. I mean, this is really going through and and um, rolling up your sleeves and going through. What I'm sure seems like painstaking detail going through this and the questions, and you just want to get, you just want to get open and get your place going. And, uh, so then, you know, this takes time and it takes investigation, but goodness gracious, like, if, if, if any story doesn't emphasize that point hammered home, I mean, this is it right here. In fact, folks, so if you're listening, um, I mean, go look at, go look at Sakura Springs Restaurant and Brewhouse, um, S-O-C-O, R-R-O, Socorro, Socorro Springs. It's in New Mexico. There's images on Google. It's a beautiful building. It was done, it, you know, like, it's, 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 what a great story. What a great example of just having the wherewithal to say, hold on, time out. Let's, let's fully explore this. And it's easy, I think, to fall into that process um, of just going, okay, well, this is what we have to do. And so, you now we've got to go spend this amount of money. And everybody, it's just easy on everybody involved, <laughs> except for you who's putting the bill for many years. So that's really awesome, Nick. Um, now, are you, um, one of the things I remember you also told me, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember you were, you had a mentor at least at some point early on, and you thought it was important to have somebody, and it sounds like you're doing some mentoring yourself right now. So talk about, um, uh, talk about, you know, sort of the importance of mentoring or having a, a mentor as you're getting started, you know, in the business. Yeah, I think that's totally critical. Um, you know, we're, um, we being Molly, my wife and I, um, definitely kind of stumbling around blindly in the beginning. And after we had, you know, on, on our about our fourth or fifth, uh, rejection of our, uh, idea, we were traveling through Colorado up to the Great American Beer Festival. This was in, oh, probably 1996 or seven. Um, before we opened in 99 and we had heard that there's a guy there who had uh, started a very successful chain of uh, small breweries and restaurants called Ovacino, um, I-L space B-I-C-I-N-O and uh, this guy's name was Tom Hennessy and we had heard from a couple of different breweries that we'd been, you know, we'd been talking to as many people in the industries as possible trying to learn information and, and and uh, most of the places have these, you know, half a million dollar resetups. So there's one guy said, well, if you really think you're going to end up starting going down the dairy equipment route, which I think is totally crazy, talk to this guy, Tom Hennessy. He put out some video that's, you know, that, that's out there. And that's all, you know, before the Internet um, really got going. But he said, there's this video out there called How to Start a Microbrewery, you know, um, for less than $20,000 called Frankenberry System. So, you know, immediately like, wow, maybe we can do it after all, you know. And, and so we went on our way up to, to uh, our first Great American Beer Festival. We went up and we found this guy, Tom Hennessy, and, and that was in Salida, Colorado, about 20 miles from where we, we opened up in uh, Buena Vista. And anyhow, we met with him, and, and, you know, yes, he did have the video, and he sold it to us, the little VHS tape. Um, but then he, he, he met with us for about an hour and gave us, a ton of great advice, you know, from just menu design to uh, running your own restaurant successfully, um, you know, and, and he recommended 
us, uh, you know, to read this book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber and really just, you know, how to manage a restaurant versus working in a restaurant, you know. And um, and then we just, you know, throughout the years, you know, we'd come across challenges and, and shoot out a phone call or an email to him and say, hey, Tom, have you ever dealt with this before or that? And he, he's given us a lot of help and um, over the years and, and likewise, we've, you know, helped a lot of people over the years now, and you know, a lot of people who have opened their own places. And um, Tom's running a uh, he, he does kind of a, a course now up in Ridgeway, Colorado. He has a Colorado Boy Brewery there, and he he teaches people how to you know pretty much do exactly what we've done, you know, how to start you know very simply you know, how to get your place open. You know, and there's State Brewing Company in Prescott. They went through his course. There's um, there's a lot of breweries around the country that have gone use him as a mentor and you can see it in their businesses because they run lean the quality is never compromised the service is you know top notch um, these businesses have a just a really great vibe to them and, and they're successful because they're focused on the ultimate customer experience not on how much money you can throw at a problem and it's, it's, it's really cool you know, just, you know having learned quite a bit from him and um, and then we implemented it and it's kind of funny because he came back to us he wrote some articles and he referenced us because we took his concepts and kind of took them to another level, you know. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, once you once you figure out that you don't have to take what you know the norm out there for how to do something, it really opens up a lot of possibilities. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, we we share. Um, I'm not thinking that I've thought about it. We share a lot of the same business philosophies with how we how we run schedule plan. Um, they're a really, really lean organization and um, kind of have not done a lot of things that, you know, sort of are conventional things to do if you have a software business. We must scale people and we don't have a marketing team and we don't do partnerships and um, so on and so forth. So, um, so it really is. I'll tell you what, man, uh, it's funny because the email, folks, check that book out. I mean, you're, you're one of, gosh, I think they're like, there were at least two other owners from our book that had read the Enif and were, you know, um, very high on it. Um, I know Matt Fry and Carmel Indiana with Bubs Burgers and Ice Cream. He talked about he talks a lot about the Enif. Um, he's mentioned to me several times over the years and, and somebody else. So um, I've never read the Enif, but I've heard great things about it. Sounds like a really good one for people to pick up. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, just to summarize, it essentially it says, you know. Um, you know, imagine your business as a triangle. You know, if you're down working, you know, in, in that triangle, the top managers are higher up on the triangle, um, and the people working at the bottom uh, are at the base of the triangle. And even though, as an owner, you should be able to do all the tasks within that triangle, it's important to keep yourself at the top of it, looking down, uh, because it's, otherwise you don't have perspective. If you're at the bottom looking up, you don't have perspective, and uh, you know, so for us to have gone from, you know, New Mexico all the way to Colorado, and then from Colorado to New Zealand, the only way we could have done it is if we maintain that perspective. And the second part of the book that it really beats, you know, home to you is, is trust your employees. You know, you have to, at some point, you have to stop micromanaging. You have to let go. You have to give them trust. And, you know, most people inherently want to do a good job at whatever they do. And um, once you have trust in somebody, just let them run with it. 
Yeah. And you know, how many you know, the you know, you're, you're back in the trenches and you're not in the perspective. Um, if you're setting standards, you're just in the perspective, you're at the top of the triangle. And, and then it's really fun, you because know, you can, you can free yourself up to keep growing, keep expanding, you know, keep chasing your adventures and, and your businesses keep moving forward and, and being successful. You know, um, I mean, those things kind of are mutually exclusive. I mean, to stay at the top of the triangle, you have to. You kind of have to um, have trust and um, and and you know let to keep that perspective. You really you got to those you kind of come hand in hand, don't they? Totally. You have, you have to delegate, and I mean, you're the one who's you're the one who's building the business. You you have the vision. You have the ideas. Um, once that you know. Let's just, let's just go back to day one of us starting up. You know, so we had the vision. I knew how to make the beer. I knew how to make our pizza dough. Um, you know, Samal so and I sit there and, and we hammer out these recipes together with, you know, with beer and food. And you know, it, it takes a lot of time. But once it's done, once your dough recipe is done, it's done. You know, so at that point, make a clear sheet of how exactly how you want to make and the standards that need to be made to, and then train someone on it and be done with it. The second year you've got someone else trained on it, now you're free to go do something else, which is focus on the customer. You know, once you've got that whole customer experience of how we're going to handle, you know, the, the customer experience, make sure that's being done well, pass those duties off to, um, you know, your best server, and eventually you can promote them to a manager, you know, which frees you up so that, you know, you know the customers are getting taken care of exactly how you want them taken care of, but now you're not worrying about them, so you're free to look at the next perspective, which is, hey, let's look at you know, how we can bring more customers in. And every time you delegate one of these tasks, it frees you up to do more, you know, so it's, so it's really a story of leverage, you know, and you can, you, know, you become more and more valuable to the business the more tasks you delegate away. And it's, once you figure it out, and, and we, we see it a lot with the newer managers, you know, you, you, so... We'll get busy on the floor, and instead of them managing the staff, they'll jump in and just say, out of my way, let me show you how it's done. Well, now now he's managing the show, you know? Um, so we teach our managers how to, you know, follow the exact same philosophy, and when, when we try to get them to read the book, not a lot of people don't like to read, but it's a, it's a short book. It's an easy read. Read it once and and, uh, and move on, you know, and uh, you'll be a lot more successful because of it. That's great. So that's really cool. That's good advice. So definitely check that book out. Um, what, uh, let me, I want to ask you one more thing. I want to respect your time. We've talked for a while. Did, did you, Nick, you should like, uh, bottle this up, man. I mean, like you had Tom Hennessy videos back in the day, like probably what, like VHS cassettes, and it was probably the distribution was probably stuff for him. You're, you're, um, everything we've talked about is so useful and practical, uh, and, and easy to follow and, you know, man, I mean, this is such great advice. Like, I can't imagine, you know, I would want to hear all of this if I was starting a restaurant. I'd want to spend, you know, three hours on the phone with you, and then I'd want to, you know, call you once a month or something like that. Like, you you, re- you really have a great way of articulating this. You, you've really uncovered a lot of just um, 
very, like I said, very practical, tactical, intelligent things to do to be, to be successful in the business that so many people have a hard time with, man. So, um, I'll tell you, man, you, you could charge, <laughs> you could charge to do this podcast. It's great advice. It really is. Um, one, one last thing I want to ask you about is, uh, you mentioned, um, one of the things I think that you told me you know, before was was that you can really dominate in small towns. Um, of course, we did this. Gosh, it's been almost four years, and we did the best almost four and a half, five years since you and I probably did that interview. But do you still feel like small towns are a place where uh, you know it's you can um, you can do really well? Sort of, I guess maybe big fish, small pond. Is that what you're doing in New Zealand? Or, or talk talk a little bit about that. Um. I guess I'd have to say we still do believe that. Um, you know, it, it's it's kind of like the well, it is exactly the same story. Like you know, going with the uh, throwing money at a problem. It's easy to look at a big market. You know, say you know, look at a town of a hundred thousand versus ten thousand. You crunch the numbers on the hundred thousand. You say, okay, you know, per capita income here's fifty thousand times a hundred thousand. Man, look at look at the size of this market. You know, if we only get one percent of that, we're killing it. You know. If, um, you know, and, and it's just looking at big numbers, it, it looks easier. But what, what's hard to uh, think about is if you open up in a small town versus a large one, in that large one, they've seen everything come and go. You're going to get lost, and it, it, it's harder to be unique. It's harder to maintain a separate identity. Um, it's harder to stand out. You know, and the, the you know the flip side is if you're in a small town, the, the potential number of customers is a lot smaller, and you know, the, the focus is, is on you because you're going to make waves coming into a, a small town. and um, So you really have to have your game on. But, you know, like here in, uh, you know, in New Zealand, Nelson is a big town. It's got about 60,000 people here. And we're actually ne- in a town next to it with, with 10,000 people called Richmond. And we're not in the main downtown corridor of Richmond, we're actually about three kilometers out of town, right on the absolute edge of it. And, you know, when we started looking at this uh, location three or four years ago, and uh, what we did is we found a person who had a, a commercial lot, and he he was willing to, he's also a builder, and he's willing to build a suit. So we were, you know, he wanted to throw out a, a, a lease number, which was a little crazy for us, and, um, you know, and we're leasing this time because we're, you know, we're not uh, residents here. You know, he threw this number out, and we said, no, 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 this isn't going to work. Um, we need this number to be low so we can be, you know, keep our costs low. Um, so let's, how about this? We you, we basically, you know, let's base on what it's going to cost you to build. Um, we're going to help you design this building, so it's going to be really affordable to build. Um, and, and we started moving onwards. And, and as we went on, a lot of people came up to us that we've met here, and like, you know, it's crazy that you're not building in the main, you know, downtown corridor, but it's also genius, you know, and, and we chose it because there's several bike paths there, there's uh, uh, the, the intersect there, there's the, an aquatic center nearby, and it's next to a bunch of neighborhoods. And and so not being even in the small town, but being on the very edge of the small town, I think some of we're tremendously great for us here in, you know, we're several months from opening, but um, the feedback we've done is very positive, and what it is is if we're in the main downtown quarter, 
we'd just be another business kind of lost in the sea of other businesses, and we'd have to spend a lot more on marketing and everything else. Because we're on the edge of town, we're highly visible, you know, because there aren't any other uh, type of businesses like what we're doing there. Um, it's it's got everybody's attention. It's it's close to the neighborhood, unlike the you know the, the central business district, and you know real estate costs are lower, costs of build are lower, um, just kind of like in a small town versus a large city. You know your costs are lower. Um, you know, so do we believe in it? Absolutely. You know, um, looking at Colorado, you know, where the number of breweries just explodes through growth, and almost all of them are in the the, the front range on Denver, Colorado Springs, um, Fort Collins corridor. But and there's there's a ton of small towns still out there in Colorado that we drive through and you, you're salivating and it's like, man, you could open up a really cool little brew pub restaurant here and be hugely successful. You'd be appreciated by the community um, for giving them another venue. You you could build a really strong local loyal following, which is you know harder in the larger cities. You know, real estate costs are you know a fraction of what they are in the larger cities. Um, yeah, we're still very firm believers, you know, um, in looking at, you know, your smaller markets, you know, and, and and I think that just kind of looking back at what's made us most successful is that it's not the number of people in a, within a certain radius of you. It's, it's the, all you need is one, or, you know, one good solid community to get behind you and, and your goal. So look for communities, not not population centers. Look for community, not population. I like that, man. Um, well, Mitch, I, I, I could ask you a thousand other questions, but I'm going to let you go. I know you're busy. Um, but thank you again very, very much for doing this. Um, for your time. And just, yeah, man. I mean, this is just, it's awesome stuff. It really is. And, and I really do appreciate it. And I think your story is so inspiring. I think that's awesome that you guys are, have your family down there in New Zealand, and, and I mean, what a great example. You know, you don't have to be, I mean, you've got a place in New Mexico, Colorado, and now New Zealand. So, really, uh, folks, what a, what a great story. What awesome, just easily replicatable advice, uh, from Nick. And, uh, hey man, thanks a lot. Thanks for just the, 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 the relationship and, and the time today and, and everything else, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I hope it helps somebody else. And, uh, fun business and it's fun lifestyle so it's, uh, definitely hope other people are successful with it too so. good stuff man well, you guys take care uh, and, and good luck with everything and just let's, let's, let's stay in touch my friend that sounds great cheers alright All right, cheers thanks man. All right, bye